0: Oh, you're very kind. Thank you so much. Praise God. You may be seated. You're looking good this morning. We are honored to be back with you from uh, Oklahoma City. Anybody ever heard of Oklahoma City? The middle of the country. Uh, it's very hot there. We love to come to L.A., but it's kind of warm here, right? So, can you work on that for me while I'm here? Uh we, uh, we love this church. You know, we, we were talking yesterday. We had dinner last night, and uh, this church has been a big part of our life. We've been coming here for like 25 years, All, you know. Uh, Pastor Richard and Nancy are, are, are great friends and partners in ministry, and I think the older I get, the more precious friends are, right? Uh, I, I don't know how many of those you, you're going to have in life. Really, really good friends. And it's a precious thing. And I thank you guys for being a friend, first of all. And uh, we're honored to be in your, in your church again. We're going to be talking about—school uh, uh, is about to start. So we're going to be talking about kids today. Is that okay? And uh, the culture in which we, we are in right now is very different than it was a year ago. <laughs> you know, there's a song—I'm uh, going to just jump right into this, if that's okay— There's a song that uh, was popular back in my day when I was a kid, Bob Dylan. Anybody remember Bob Dylan? Anybody? Yeah, me and Pastor Richard, uh, the only two. Uh, But he had a song called The Times They Are A-Changing. Bob Dylan, and the times they are a-changing. And he sang really funny. That was a terrible uh, impression, but that's the best I got. (laughs) But they are a-changing, right? Let me just read you a few things here that we deal with now. There's a new parenting trend called babies that's going on right now. Not babies, but they bees, And these parents don't disclose the gender of their children to anyone, including the child. The idea is to let the child decide for themselves what gender they want to be. Okay, I'll keep going. Uh, our schools are dealing with issues concerning the boundaries of sex education, plus a myriad of LGBTQ questions how to handle these subjects in an ever-changing culture. Because of the Internet, the average age for a child to view hardcore pornography is eight years old. Isn't that amazing? Sexting is so, sexting is so, you know what that is, right? It's so rampant that the government has had to spend taxpayer dollars to write and pass laws to try to prevent it, According to a recent survey, 71% of teen girls and 67% of teen boys have sent sexually suggestive content to a boyfriend or a girlfriend. 90% of young people ages 12 to 18 use the Internet, and 90% of 8 to 16-year-olds have seen porn. The Internet has become the leading sex educator in our country. In the last couple of years, we have had, uh, also had an explosion of wokeness wokeness you heard of that right this is a state of being aware of social problems such as race racism and inequality so what in the world is going on right the culture is changing rapidly and uh we're going to be digging into the bible to see what to do about this how many believe the bible is true how many believe the bible has all the answers we need how many know it's not going to ever get too dark for God to do something wonderful, in spite of everything that's going on? Do you believe that? Uh, turn in your Bibles to John chapter one, verse five, and let's just look at a scripture to kick us off here, because we're going to be talking about parenting and raising kids and family things. Uh, just to 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 read. Some of you probably have heard some of these things. Some of you maybe not. But just to give us a foundation. You don't have a foundation, you're in trouble, right? Scripture says, uh, not the one we're about to read, but in the Psalms, it says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Wow. So, if the foundations of life are, are destroyed, and that's what's going on right now, the enemy is trying to destroy the very foundation on which we're to build society on. Everything's being questioned. And so... If the foundation is destroyed, what can the righteous, or what can the people that are in right standing with God, which is a Christian, we're supposed to be the light of the world. Did you know that? In fact, let's read about this. It says here, John chapter one verse five, "The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it." Now, that's good news, isn't it? Notice the darkness is going to try to overcome the light, but it can't as long as we let it shine. But we've got to shine. We can overcome these things, but we're going to have to be proactive. And I don't believe the answer to all the myriad of things that are going on is in the political world. I don't believe they're going to, they're going to, uh, we're going to, we're not going to vote, and we should vote, and we should be educated, and we should, you know, be be aware of everything that's going on. One of the reasons is so we can pray about it. But I believe the answer to all this is grassroots. Everybody say grassroots. What do you mean, Pastor Ken? It all starts at home. It all starts at home. In the beginning, God created the world, and he established the foundation that the world is to build on. And it is, he started with a man made out of the dust of the ground, right? So God is saying he created the man first. Not that the man was better than the woman. The woman's going to come along later. In fact, the man came from the dust of the ground. The woman didn't come from the dirt, though. She created from the man. She came from the man. That's why women don't like you to bring your dirt back in their house, because we think so differently, men and women, right? But God created the man and then later on the woman, and that's the foundation of life. Two people got married. Uh, Genesis one and two tells the story of how God created the world, the man and the woman. They got married in the end of Genesis chapter two, and then Genesis chapter three. The first thing that happened was the devil came along. We don't hear anything about the devil until they got married. And they begin to build their life. You see, the devil fears families at the grassroots level coming together to begin to apply the Word of God to your marriage. Because marriage, it's a wonderful thing. But it just don't happen that, that it turns out great, right? You've got to work on it. I mean, I, you're looking at me funny. But you're going to have to work on this deal. Because you and your wife are very different. Have you figured that out yet? You know, I like to say it this way. Trudy and I are so different. We pretty much... We've been married for 51 years, 51 years. (laughs) And 52 in a a couple of weeks will be 52. And we pretty much disagree about something daily. A lot of times, many times. Why is that? Because we think differently. I'm a man, I'm a guy, but she's a woman. You know, and, and the thing about the Bible talks about now that when God created the world, created the man from the dust, created the woman, she came from the man, and she was taken from the rib of the man, it says, right? You remember that in the Bible? From the rib. So we think about a rib as like being a little bone, uh, you know, because you got ribs. you got a rib cage that protects your vital organs, right? And, uh, and so you got a lot of rib bones. So we think that, well, God just took a little rib bone and made, made the woman. It's kind of like insignificant. But that's not really what that term means if you study it out in the Old Testament. The term rib actually means the side. And here's what that means. God just didn't take a little rib. He cut Adam, cut this big part out of Adam to create the woman. And God's telling us as a man that's married, when you get a wife, if you don't bring her in, if you don't nurture her because you're the leader, then you're missing out on half your life. Because she's there to help you, right? Helper. Woman is the help meet, right? You ever heard that term? Not helpmate. Help meet. This, this helpmate sounds like a little servant, right? Go get me a, a glass of tea, because you're my help or helpmate. That's not what it's help meet. And here's what helpmeet means. It means a helper, but a helper against. Or a helper, here's a good way to say it. She, the, the wife, is the helper with a different opinion. That turn, turn on any lights for anybody? My wife always has a different opinion. And she's always trying to help me, even when I don't want her to help me. It's like when we're in L.A., right, and we're driving we're in traffic. You guys have traffic? Oh, you have traffic in this town. Wow. And it's a whole different level of traffic. And so we're in traffic, and she's constantly like we're pulling up to a light and we're sitting there, and I know how lights work because I'm a man. And I know that when the light's red, you stop. Everybody got that? You stop and you sit there, and then the light turns green. That means you can go. But Trudy wants to help me. So she's sitting there watching everything that's going on. This helping thing is working in her all the time. And so the light, it's not green yet. In fact, it's still pink. It's going to green. But before it gets to green, she's, she's leaning over, you can go now. It's green. And I'm like, I can see. (laughs) But I used to get very offended about that. But here's what I learned. She's trying to help me. She wants to help you because you're a team. See, that's the way God designed this to work. A man and a woman, you're a team for life. And you can't, the, the Scripture says in Proverbs, two are better than one. So when you get together, the power on your life gets turned up. That's why the enemy hates your marriage so much and wants to keep you stirred up against each other. Because if he he can keep you stirred up against each other, then you're not in unity to fulfill the grand purpose that you have. And listen, in our time, we need unified marriages like never before. Because we are called to be the church in the earth, right? And the church is the light of the world. Somebody said, Jesus is the light of the world. Yeah, but Jesus isn't here. We are. And Jesus in us. Yes, we need Jesus. We've got to have him in us, but we've got to take our stand. We've got we to fill our place, right? And that begins in your marriage and in your home and in your family. Family is a building block for all of society. And we need to see how important, you need to see how important your family is to everything that God wants to do in the world. Now, you know, when Trudy and I got saved, we, we're from a little bitty town out in the Texas panhandle. Town of about 800 people. We went to school together. She's two years younger than me, and I asked her to be my girlfriend when she was 12 years old, and I was 14, because I looked at her. I saw her one day getting on a bus, and I didn't know her, but she's this cute little blonde. She's wearing a, a yellow outfit, and I saw. I only saw her getting on the bus from the back, but I, 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 you know, I'm I'm 14, but I thought, wow, I don't know that girl. I need to get. I need to see what she looks like from the front. Because I like the back, right? But later that, later that day, I saw what she looked like from the front, and I, I liked that even better. I, I liked the package, right? So we, I asked her to become my girlfriend. That's a long story. But we would date, and we'd break up, and then we'd get back together. But we got married, and when we got married, we began to immediately have more trouble than we could have ever imagined. The reason was we don't know what we're doing, and we're young, and we're very dumb I was uh, 19, she was 17, just barely 17. And so we began to fight and have trouble, but my wife's a lot smarter than me because one night she cried out to God. and She said, God, I felt like when I married this guy that I, I thought this would be a great life, but we're fighting all the time, and, 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 and I need your help. And as far as I can tell in my life, you know, women sometimes have this ability to get real honest with God. As far as I can tell in my life, you've never helped me. That's a pretty bold thing to tell the Lord, right? She said, and i tell you what, if you don't, if you don't help me with this thing, that's it. I'm never going to ask you for anything else. I'm not going to church. I'm done. I want to know you're real. The next day, the next day, <laughs> this is so good, somebody comes and knocks on her, her door. I was at work, and they came in and told her all about Jesus. And Trudy got gloriously saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she became, yeah, go ahead, clap your hands. But then she became a burr in my saddle. (laughs) Because this, you know, she's just serving God with all of her heart. I mean, she was radical, living this thing out, uh, thinking that I would want to jump in, but I didn't. Because I had some problems. One of the reasons I didn't want to, know Jesus was I had professed him as my Lord when I was younger and gotten totally away and I didn't think God could ever love me again you ever felt like that I thought God couldn't love me I, I turned my back on him but she began to pray for me and she prayed hard and she prayed good because in a few weeks I got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit amen so now here we are and, and really we started out just we just wanted to have a, a good marriage and raise kids that knew this Jesus that we knew. It became a quest for us. We had a little baby girl. Later we had, had my son who's four years younger than my daughter. And <clears throat> I got into kids' ministry, and I got into this kids' ministry. We had a TV show that I was a part of back in the 80s and 90s called The Gospel Bill Show. Anybody ever heard of that? And went all across America and around the world. But I never intended to do anything like that. We just wanted to raise a successful family for God. And, and out of that came now we have a church that my son planted in Oklahoma City that's doing well, and I and will tell, we'll be telling you more about that. But uh, I said all that to say family is the foundation of everything. Your family is called to make a difference in the world, to make a difference in your world, to touch people's lives. It's grassroots. You know what I mean by that? Just living this thing out daily with the Lord. When you make a mistake, and you're going to make some, just keep coming back to him and working on your marriage and, 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 and working on your children. And even when they're grown and they get away from you, you never, forget, you never stop praying for them. We pray for our family every day. That's a foundation of what Trudy and I pray and live for every day. Because if we can get our family going, we can touch the world. That's what God's called us to do. But it begins with the family. So we're going to talk about family from the Bible this morning. Is that all right? Uh, Psalm 127, turn there if you would. Psalm 127 is what we're going to build on. And this psalm is a part of a series of psalms. They begin with Psalm 118 and end with Psalm 134. And they are called psalms of ascent. Everybody, Everybody say ascent. Let me hear you, ascent. Ascent, that means you're going up, right? And these psalms were sung by... The, the people of Israel, the Hebrews, when they would go uh, from all parts of, parts of Israel, and Israel's a very, it's not a big country. It's You probably heard this. It's about the size of the state of New Jersey. So you can drive around Israel in a day. Trudy and I have been blessed to be there a couple of times. It's, it's not a, you know, it's not a big country. But three times a year, a Jew that loved God, and they were all supposed to, would ascend to Jerusalem from all around the country even from other countries, and they were required to come to three feasts. Uh, They had seven feasts, but three they were required to be at. And they were the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And they were required to come from all around the country, other countries, to come to Jerusalem to celebrate those feasts and to focus again on God. And they're called Psalms of Ascent because they would as they were coming to Jerusalem, they would be singing these songs. These were all songs that they sung because they, they you know, learned that when you sing the Word of God, you remember it better. So they're, com- and they're coming up into the presence of God, and so they're singing these songs. And Psalm 127 was a song that was a blueprint for building a family. This is the blueprint. If you're going to have a strong family, which is the foundation of everything, you need to understand this psalm. And so let's read this psalm. Let's let's read parts of it and break it down. Psalm 127, verse 1. Are you there? I'm going to read from the New King James Version. It says, a song of ascent, which is what we're talking about. You're going up. Of Solomon, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, this is about family, but it's kind of in code. And you need to understand that this is talking about the the code. There's two two in code people we're talking about here. One of them is the builder, and the other is the watcher. The watcher and the builder. It says, back to the psalm, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So we're we're building a house or a family. That word house, you can substitute the word family. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake. in vain. So we have a builder and a watcher. These terms carry significance. They're in code. This is talking about the father and the mother of the family. The father is the builder. The mother is the watcher. The man, the father, is designed by God to be the builder of the family. Let's talk about the man for a while. His loving, caring, strong leadership as a father is to point the children in the direction of the true father in heaven and lead the family through the different, challenging chapters of life. One of the problems that we deal with now in our culture that's growing on an exponential basis is the fact that we are so bereft, or bereft of true fathers in our families. We have, uh, we have men and women getting married and because of the breakdown of the home, they weren't fathered. Therefore, if you weren't fathered properly, you don't even know what a father looks like. You know, my own, in my own life, I had a father and mother, and they stayed together. And my dad, in, in many ways, was a really good guy. He was a hard worker. He was a strong person. I mean, he was a strong person. He was a leader, strong person leader. And he ran our house like that, right? And he was a good man, but he was not a Christian. He didn't know Jesus. And because of that, he didn't really know because of his upbringing, because his father didn't either, he didn't really know how to be a godly father, which you can't be a godly father unless you know the Lord, right? So he did good things. He provided for us well, but he didn't know how to connect with his sons. He had two. I was the oldest. And my dad and I, we had, uh, we had a lot of trouble because I was different than him because he was like this farmer outdoors you know, strong guy, and I was strong like him. In fact, the older I get, I think the more I'm like him. But I didn't like farming. I was more, I was, I was, I really liked, I was a musician, I played the drums, I was in a rock band when I was a kid, had my own rock band that I led. Uh, And I, I, so we kind of butted heads, and he didn't know how to connect with me because we thought so differently. And my dad, he never really talked much to me. You know, fathers are supposed to talk to their children and connect with them in life. But he didn't do that because he didn't know how. He never went to my ball games. So I grew up with kind of a father that was a good man and showed me how to work, but he we didn't know, he didn't know how to love me. And I didn't think he did. In fact, I didn't think he liked me because kids don't know. You have to exhibit that to them. They have to see. You have to. It's your actions that speak, right? And my dad didn't know how to do that. So I grew up with that identity of a father. Now, I'll tell you what great thing happened to me. is when I got saved, Trudy and I met the Lord. Trudy's dad was a whole different kind of guy. He's a godly man. He's in heaven today. Wonderful man. Brought me in, would talk to me for hours. I love to sit and listen to this guy. He knew the Bible, and he became a father for me. And thank God he did, because I, I saw what a true father was supposed to look like. But the father is designed to give the children identity. The father is designed by God to be the foundation of the family. Now think about the foundation. Whenever you build a building, the first thing you build is a foundation, right? I mean, we, this is a beautiful building. And, it's, you know, it's all the cool stuff on the walls and the video stuff and these lights that look like cannons up here. <laughs> Hope those don't go off. You know, all that's cool stuff. But if you don't have a good foundation, this thing is, isn't going to stand because sometimes storms come through L.A., right? Not often, as, as much as Oklahoma, we have things that are called tornadoes in Oklahoma. We're getting ready. My son's church, we're getting ready to build a building. <clears throat> We've got some land. We're, we're negotiating on the price right now, and it's really going sky high as you know things go up. But 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 God wants us to build a building. We know that. But what's going to have to happen is, before we've got our land, but we're going to have to do a lot of dirt work and bring a lot of heavy equipment in and then get the foundation just right. And dirt work and building that concrete foundation takes a lot of time and effort, but it needs to be that way because that is what's going to sustain the structure. And that's what the Father is. The Father is the foundation of the family where all the rooms and the walls and the the roof can make up a shelter and everything can rest on If the foundation is shaky, the house can't stand against the storms of life. So the foundation is not on the top of the building. The foundation is on the bottom. In the same way, the father is on the bottom of the family. (laughs) Not that everybody walks on him, but this speaks to the fact that the father, he doesn't just sit around and bark commands and issue orders as a dictator. He's on the bottom of the family serving and modeling what it's like to be a leader. That's what a father's supposed to do. Are y'all still awake? Okay. A good leader, first of all, is a humble follower of Jesus, submitting submitting to his word. And you know why we do that? Because that's what Jesus did. He's the greatest leader and example of what a true father looks like. He accomplished his mission by serving. That's the true heart of the father. He leads by serving the needs of the family. Think about how Jesus did it. You know, he served. He washed his disciples' feet. He was always with people, not that he let people run over him. That's not what serving's all about. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Jesus was strong, and he knew who he was, and he knew what he was sent here to do, but he did it by being a servant. And we, as men, we are the servant and the leader of the family. Uh, So Jesus, in his relationship with with his father, speak to us and illustrate to us how true fathers are supposed to work. You guys, I think you have some notes. Are, are you guys putting those up? I haven't even looked. But here's, I want to talk about four things that fathers must be if we're going to be the kind of father that we need to be, all right? Number one, fathers must be present. A true father must be present in the lives of his children. John chapter 8, verse 29, uh, the example of Jesus and the father He that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. So the Father was always with Jesus. By faith, the Father was with him all the time. And he was talking to him and fellowshipping with him. You can't truly be a father if you're not present with your children. There's so many things that try to take away from our time right now. But you have to learn to diligently prioritize your time and you, can, you have to give, invest time into your children. You cannot get that time back. I look back the way we raised our kids, and I wasn't perfect, but I did want to be different than my father. You know, if you, we talked about if you didn't have a father, you don't know what one looks like. But you can change the way you were fathered. You can be a different kind of father. You have the power through Jesus Christ to do that. You don't have to fall into those traps. My dad, I think, fathered the way his father fathered him because that's all he knew. But in Jesus Christ, we can be different. We can change. Hallelujah. We'll have to be the same. We can't change because he is in us. The Word of God tells us. That's what we're digging into today to help us. We begin to act on the Word of God. It'll change your life, right? So fathers must be true. Fathers are present. Fathers must be observable. Number two, they must be observable. Uh, John five nineteen, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. You know, Jesus is an example of how that we walk out this life of faith because we don't see God with our eyes, right? One of these days, we will look upon him. I mean, can you imagine the day you're going to be in God's presence. I mean, you're gonna, and you're gonna look into his eyes. You're gonna look into the eyes of Jesus Christ. That day's coming if you're a believer. Isn't that amazing? But right now, we don't do that. We live in this thing by faith. Sometimes I wish I could see him, right? (laughs) But we can't because we're in a different realm. But fathers must be observable. Your kids are watching you all the time is what I want to say. And here's the thing. Here's a question I have for you. Would you want your children to see even the secret things that you do? Because you are to influence them with what you do. Number three, fathers can be imitated. Jesus imitated what he saw the father do. It's amazing. John five nineteen. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. Here's a question. Would your children be able to imitate what you are doing? Will they be able to emulate or to match what you're doing or surpass what you're doing? You know, I believe if we do this right, I believe we can raise children that will be better than we are. I mean, don't we want, I want that. And I just watch, like my son's a pastor, you know, and and I guess in some ways I pass the ministry down to him, although he's, God called him, not, not his dad, but, but a lot of the things he does is because of the way he was raised. But I watch him pastor this church now. And sometimes he makes calls, and I'm, I'm watching, and I'm going, I wouldn't have done that that way, but that's better than I would have done it. And that's good. I want my kids to be better than me. It should be that we, we get better in every generation. If we work at this thing, right? And then number four, fathers make their children feel loved and accepted. Did you know God, the Father, did that for Jesus? Mark 1, 11, and a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. The number one thing you need to do with your kids is love them and affirm them and let them know that you, their dad. You know, my dad, he just didn't know how to do that. And because of that, I was all over the map with looking for approval I think I was always looking for approval when I was younger. And then as I got, even when I got saved, I had to learn, no, you don't get your approval from people because I didn't get it from my father. When, when children get approval from their father, it does something to them, that they're not looking for it everywhere in life, right? Uh, the father said, this is my son. He recognized his son. You know, sometimes at our church, I get up and i say, you may think this is nepotism, but I'm going to tell you something. we got a great pastor here. He's my boy. I'm proud of him. But more than that, he's a man of God. He's doing a good job. And, they, and, and that's a good thing, right? Now, I can, I can do that publicly. Uh, maybe you can't do that publicly, but you can do that in their ear, especially when they're going through things. Let them know you believe in them and you love them and you accept them. When, they're, when they don't do just right, <laughs> you, you, you can go to them and say, no, that wasn't right, but yet I love you. That's not who you are. I've done that with my kids too. That's not the real you, right? That's what we need to do as fathers. That's part of what we do. The father is the builder of the family. Now, what about the watchman? The watchman is the mama, the mother of the family. And with that, I'm going to bring my wife up here to talk about what a watchman is.
1: Praise God. Wasn't that good? Oh, blesses me. And so here we are. Now we got the mama. There's nothing like a mama. There's nothing like a mother. They they have this ability to um, be the mama bear. I mean, you don't want to mess with a mama. And God made them that way. You know, the thing about the mama is, let's go back to our scripture. It says, the watchman guards the city. And uh, so much of the tendency of a woman, if you've, if you've ever studied out how a woman operates, they are so different than a man. But everything about their equipment is a watcher. That's why they're always helping. It's because they're watching every little thing that's going on. Uh, you know, even the way they're made, they think, out of both sides of the brain. They think emotionally and logically at the same time. That's why they can cry while they're telling you truth. You know, men don't cry as much as women. But women will cry to, to get their point and their communication across because they're thinking emotionally with their heart and with truth at the same time. Uh, they're amazing. Uh, women, for, for instance, a man has better... Uh, long-range vision for the most part. But a woman has better peripheral vision. That means panoramic. That's why she's always looking and watching. She sees things. But you, we were talking about uh, husbands and wives being partners. You put those two things together, if the man's got perfect long-term, uh, long-range term long vision, women have better peripheral, you put that together in your marriage, you got perfect vision because you see it all. That's why women have different opinions, because they see it from a different perspective. Uh, Women are better at uh, judging people and their body language than a man. Women see things that that men just don't see, because they're more sensitive. They're very sensitive to the Spirit, too. That's why your wife just knows things. And he was talking about the helpmeet. The helpmeet, in the Hebrew, that word means, and I think I've taught this here before, but it means... The strong military ally that sees the enemy. And there's something about the makeup of a woman, especially a godly woman, that's a prayerful woman that knows the word of God. They sense things because God's put something in them to be able to watch. You know, when Nehemiah was rebuilding the temple, when they were building the temple, they had watchmen that were put on the walls to watch for robbers and different things because as they're trying to build, the enemy's trying to tear down what they're trying to build. And I think all of our life is like that. It's building, there's tear down, there's rebuilding, there's going to be that kind of thing all through our lives. And through that period, you need the watchman. And I want to uh, talk about a couple of things here about what watchman means. The term watchman comes from the Old Testament and was used to describe what would today be called a guard, a lookout, or a sentry. And it also means, um, the word watchman means to lay siege, to lay siege for something. Which the only way to lay siege for something as a Christian person is to do it in prayer. And I think one of the things that God uses women for, because they have such a sensitivity, is their prayer life. They, can, they pray and they sense things. And that's why you need to always be sensitive to your wife and to the wisdom that flows out of her. Because she has a sensitivity to see things that you maybe don't see. And so, you know, in my life, uh, I've, always, I've always had a sensitivity to prayer. I've always wanted to have a sensitivity prayer. And I think you can desire that from God. You can say, I want to to be an intercessor. I want to be a watchman over my family. I want to give my my life to that. You know, as I get older, I was talking to Pastor and uh, Nancy last night, it seems like my life as I'm getting older is going back to that place of just being in a constant flow of prayer. Prayer over my family. Prayer over my grandchildren. I have now two great-grandchildren, so I've got a big bunch to watch over, but not only watching over just my family, but, you know, we have a church I watch over. I watch over the people of my church. I care about them. I pray for them. Watchmen are those who pray, and women are one of the best. But it also says this, if you're trying to guard without God helping you, you're going to watch in vain. All you're going to do is worry about it. You don't watch and worry. You watch and pray. And one of the things you're going to have to do as a mother and as a watchman, in, in I, I believe in the last days, I believe Jesus is going to come back soon. But in the meantime, we've got a job to do because we haven't won the war yet. And I believe with all my heart that we're going to be a glorious church presented to the Lord in the end. But it's going to take some work. And some watching. But um, I want want to be in that place where I can be a, a tool in the body of Christ to watch over the church that we've got. To watch over what's in my life. I can't watch over your life, but you can. You know, if everybody would do their part in this area, if everybody would be a watcher, if everybody would learn how to pray for their family, then God would be able to cover everybody in the world we can't watch over everybody but God can call you to watch and it's very important but there is just a sensitivity in your wife that you need to learn especially you husbands you need to learn to listen to the sensitivity that the great women of the Bible were always so sensitive you know Rebecca knew when she was carrying her little twins that Jacob was really supposed to be the leader she understood that Uh, I think about when Jesus was being tried, Pilate's wife came in and said, Uh-uh, I had a dream last night. You better, you better leave him alone and wash your hands of this. You don't want this on your, you don't want this on your uh, tally before God. Uh, women. Samson's mother was the one the angel came to and talked to her about Samson. So many times God will talk to the mother about the children. And then she can bring that to the husband, and as the authority, he enforces and builds on that. Do you see what I'm saying here? So as, as wives and mothers, we need to be the, the watchman over our family. You know, I remember when my son was born, uh, I went through, when I carried him, I went through a tremendous mind battle carrying him. The whole time I was carrying that little boy the the enemy was telling me there was something wrong with him and I had to fight in the spirit I fought through worship and the word of God I fought for him for seven months and then there was a day that the Lord showed me in the spirit that that what was happening was the enemy was lying to me about him and um I remember that day, all of a sudden, the Lord let me know that Satan's lying about this baby, and he began to show me, really, what the baby was going to be like, and he said, you're going to have a little boy. This was the seventh month, and I had gone through so much in my mind carrying that little boy, but he he showed me uh, in the seventh month, he began to show me that he said he's going to be a little boy, and he's going to follow in his father's footsteps all the days of his life. Not just this father, but this father. And so one of the things we have as mothers, as, as watchers, is the ability to know the end from the beginning. And you have to go back to that sometimes. I think we have to go back to that now. Many of us here have raised children. We've got kids. And maybe they're away from God. I don't know. But you go back to the beginning. And you go back to the promises you made to the Lord and the vows that you made. And you build on those things and you don't let go as long as you live. Watchmen. We need watchmen in this hour. We need prayer warriors in this hour. And uh, I, I just... I just ask you to really press in abide in his word don't listen to the words of the world right now because you're going to get real discouraged if you do but you go back to this book you go back to what god's told you about your children and you hang on to that and you pray for them and you believe god over them and you be that mother that you're supposed to be mother of your children mother of the world, mother of the church, mother of whatever you can mother, but be a watchman for them. In Jesus' name.
0: Hang on, hang on, hang on. So uh, here's our point, and we're going we're to talk about this and then take a little break. God has chosen parents. They have different roles, the mother and the father, the uh, watcher and the builder. Uh, and we are to partner together to lead our families that do damage to the kingdom of darkness. But let me uh, end with this. If you're a single parent, you're not alone. If you're a single parent, you're not alone. Go to Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5. It says this great promise. For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you back from your grief as though you were a young wife abandoned by her husband. If that's happened to you, if you've been been abandoned, you've been through a divorce, God is telling you that He now will take the place of your husband or your wife, depending on the situation. Uh, God, I, I don't know how He does this. But when that happens, somehow He wants to have a closer relationship with you if you'll dig into that. And he will become the missing part of you. He can do that. I think one of the ways he does that is through the church. Because the church offers a place for you, for you and for your kids. Your kids can observe uh, godly men and what they're supposed to look like. And uh, because there are godly men walking around serving that they can take an example of. So it's important to understand, though, that you're not abandoned. God wants to help you. One of the ways he does that is the church. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, here's our point. The watchman and the builder are the foundation of the family. And that's what the first verse is talking about. We're going to dig into the rest of this psalm. Let's take a little break right now. Would you mind bringing me that uh, book and that little thing there? Back on our table, we brought a couple of items. One is our book called Devil Proof Your Family. It talks about some of the things we've talked about, about uh, marriage. Husband and, husbands and wives, parents, fathers and mothers. Uh, first half of the book is on marriage. Second half of the book is on raising kids. Uh, and we'll be talking about some of the, the children's stuff today. So I, I encourage you to get this book. At the end of the book, there are prayers that you can actually pray over your own family that Trudy wrote when our kids were little, and she actually did pray over our family. And then also we have these little cards, school starting, Right? And one of the things, we're talking about being a parent, one of the things that you're thinking, though, is, okay, I know I need to teach my kids about God. Sometimes I don't know what to say. So my daughter-in-law came up with this uh, package called Discipleship to Go. There are cards in here, one for every week of the school year, that give you a lesson to talk to your kids about. When you're driving to school, when you're picking them up, uh, if you're having breakfast in the morning, devotionals in the evening, however you want to use these, these are excellent and they are giving you a tool to help you train your kids in the things of God, discipleship on the go. So I encourage you to check out the stuff back there. Pastors, is it okay if we take about a 10-minute break? Uh, all right, everybody good? Everybody smile at me, wave at me. Let me see you. you're good. Okay. <laughs> all right, we're talking about Psalm 127. We're talking about family, we're talking about parenting. We're talking about fathers and mothers and the, the uh uh, characteristics of true fathers and mothers, and now let's let's jump into this about the children. Okay, uh, Psalm one twenty seven. Let's begin reading in verse three, and it says, "Behold, children are the heritage from the Lord; they're the inheritance, if you will. The fruit of the womb is His reward." Verse four: Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one. So are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man. Who has his quiver full of them? A a quiver is an arrow holder. Somebody read that and thought, well, if I have too many kids, it'll make me quiver. It could. That's a dumb joke. I'm sorry I had to say that. But that's not what it's talking about. No, a quiver is an arrow holder. It says that uh, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with the enemies in the gate. This is talking about kids are the heritage of the Lord. Listen. There's no greater gift we will ever receive in our life on earth that we can take into heaven than our children. Children are, uh, some, some. it does not say here, children are a burden from the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is His way of testing us. As a source of endless work and continual aggravation, so are the children of one's youth. Unhappy is a man who hears his neighbor ask, do all these kids belong to you? That's not what the Bible says, right? They're the heritage of the Lord. Uh, the greatest investment that we get as a person, the, the thing that we uh, can determine what happens in life, is our children. When you train your children, you are investing for their future, but also for your own future. Uh, l- l- let me please be patient as I brag here for a minute, okay? And I'll give you this principle. Uh, I have two children. And both of them, Trudy and I, did the best we could to invest in them when they were young. And it was a challenge. And neither one of them, as they grew up, were perfect. I'll talk about some of their issues later on because nobody is. Everybody has issues, right? We're all on the same level. We all sinned and came short of the glory of God. So don't look at me with that pious look on your face. You're just like me. You miss it. We missed it, right? And our children did too. But we invested in them. They went through some things, right? In fact, as they got married, they both, different times, have come back to our house to live for whatever reason. One time they sold a house. One time my uh, daughter and her husband were having some severe marital problems. Didn't even know if they were going to make it. And she came home. And Josh one time and Sarah came to live with us because they sold a house. Anyway, uh, there were challenges. I'm not telling you you won't have challenges. But I am telling you that you can get through your challenges and you can raise kids that love God. I'm going to say it again. You can raise kids that love God. Right now, can I brag? My daughter and her husband have a gymnastics business in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, they've been doing this for how long, baby? 25 years at least. And they run their own business. They are one of the top gyms in the state of Oklahoma. They, uh, Scott has raised champions, uh, gymnastics girls, out of his, his gym. And not only that, but his gym is kind of like a mini church, if you will. So many of these kids are coming in. They're from crazy families because of the culture that's going on right now. And he has taken them under his wing. He trains them, but he's also an example of them. He's a, an overt Christian gym. If you don't want to hear somebody get up and preach every time you come, you don't want Scott's gym because he'll offend you. But he can do that. It's his gym, right? So uh, a lot of these kids coming in, some of them get saved. Many of them now through the years they've grown up, uh, most of the people that work for him in his gym now are kids that he raised, and he's a true father to these kids. Isn't that awesome that God can do that? And they raised they raise two daughters. We have two great-granddaughters now through my oldest granddaughter has, has two kids, and I'm proud of my daughter and her husband. My son is a pastor, him and Sarah, in Oklahoma City. They've had challenges. Everybody does, Right. But now he's a pastor, and he's touching that, that city. The church is growing. They're producing disciples that love Jesus. I talked a little bit about him already, but I'm proud of my kids. But here's the cool thing. Now, as I get older, because I'm getting a little older. I know it's hard to believe. I look good, right? But I'm getting a little older, and I'm slowing down just a little bit. Right, Right, Reggie? We're slowing down a little bit. And that happens. And, and we're all going to do that. This is the way of life. Life happens real quick. You may be young looking at me and saying, I'll never be that guy. You're going to get old one of these days if Jesus tarries. I'm telling you, I didn't think about getting old when I was young, but it happened. And I look at it and I say, how did I get here? But you know what? Now, because I raised my kids, my kids, it's going to come back and be a blessing to me because I get to be a part of my son's church. I don't run it. I don't want to run it. I want him to run it, right? But I get to be a part. And I have a unique place of, of, of being a leader in the church. I'm the apostolic elder there. I get to speak into, you know, the decisions of the church. I, I, and one of the things that, that's a joy in my life right now is I get to invest into these young men that are coming up to lead. And, and I get to, to help them with, with proper doctrine. And I set the standard for some of the things that we teach in the church because I've been around a while and I've learned a couple of things, right? And that's what God wants See, when you raise your children, they'll come back and they'll be a blessing to you later in life. So we need to understand that training children is an important, important thing that we do. Now, children here are likened unto arrows, right? So let's talk about that. When it comes to an arrow, an arrow is a weapon, right? And so God is telling us that your children, we're, we're to raise children that become weapons, weapons against the kingdom of darkness. That's the ideal... That we're doing with our kids. An arrow has three different parts that I want to break down and talk about today. With an arrow, there's the arrow head, which is the, the point that does the damage of the arrow. There's the shaft that carries the head to the target. And then there's the feathers that guide the arrow to the target, right? And that's like a child. There's three parts to a child, too their spirit, their soul, and their body. That's a three part. We're all three-part beings, spirit, soul, and body. Uh, You are a spirit that lives in a body that has a soul or a mind. When you got saved, really we say people's souls get saved, but really what got saved in you was your spirit, the invisible part of you, your spirit man on the inside. You were dead unto God, dead, D-E-A-D, right? Now, you were still walking around living and breathing, but in the sight of God, you were a dead person because of sin. Sin is serious, and it takes you out, and all of us went there. But Jesus came, and he gave you not a brand-new soul, not a brand-new body, but a brand-new spirit, the invisible part of you. That's why people have a hard time with that, because when you get saved, you don't change physically. You know, if you're a little ugly before you got saved, you'll be a little ugly after you got saved. That's just the way it is. But your spirit invisibly got changed. Then your body, you know, I, I, let's talk about the body for a minute. Your body, I got bad news for you. It's kind of going downhill. No matter how much you fight it, you know, I work out pretty much every day of my life. I do some things now. I don't work out as hard as I used to, but I work, I'm fighting this thing. But here's things are happening to me every day. These wrinkles have come, you know. In fact, Trudy has, has, has gotten this stuff now. She put some on me this morning to help with the wrinkles. Uh, I try to do things with my hair. I want to look as young as I can. You say, well, you're just putting on airs. No, I just want to look as young as I can as long as I'm here. I want this to be the best, but this is the best I got anymore. I mean, this used to be a lot better. I, I'm fighting it, but, oh, man, it's a battle. But here's the good news. One of these days I get a brand new body. Won't that be awesome? Like, you know, you're going to get abs back. You're going to be pretty again, right? Yes, brother. Somebody got blessed over that. Uh, But then your soul. Your your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your soul is your thinker, your decider. You have a decider. God gave you a decider. He gave you authority. And you know what? You can do anything you want to do. He gave that to you. Now, I encourage you not to go rob a convenience store when we get done with this session today, but you could. But see, you, your mind, your decider is so very important. Your will, your emotions, that has to be rebuilt. That is the soul that gets saved. Your soul, is, my soul is still being saved, being transformed. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, my thinker's better than it used to be in some ways, but then there are new battles that come up. And so you have to continually do what with your mind? You have to renew it. To think. That's why you need the Bible. That's why you need a seminar like this. Because this helps our thinker get in in the right place again. Because the the world, when you go out there, it chips away at you. And you have thoughts coming at you all the time. Words are coming at you. And you turn on the TV and there's words and images all the time. But they're not all of God. Have you noticed that? A lot of those things, you don't need to dwell on that. In fact, sometimes you need to turn it off. Fox News, turn it off! (laughs) You know i got to tell you, I watch a lot less of that stuff than I did for a while because it gets me. It, it, it breaks me down because when I see what's going on in the country, it's heartbreaking, right? But listen, the kingdom of God is bigger than what's going on in the country. The kingdom of God can change what's going on in the country. I believe there's a great separation of darkness and light going on right now. The, the, the lines are getting more defined as what's light and what's darkness. And so we're the church. But, and, and it's, you know, sometimes it's scary, but we were made to be here at this time. It's no mistake you're here. You got to look at life that, like that, right? So, spirit, soul, and body. Three parts of a child that we must train as parents. So let's break them down. Number, first of all, number one, the soul or the mind. That's the arrowhead, that's the point. That's the point that does the damage. And uh, Jeremiah 59 says this, Our arrows shall be like those of an expert warrior. None shall return in vain. So if children are like an arrow, we want to train them so they'll be like an expert warrior. The mind is like the arrowhead. It must be sharpened. The sharper the arrowhead, the more deadly the arrow. And parents, we are the primary disciples of our children. But to do that, Throw some ideas at you. We must be involved in their lives. Uh, most most pro, uh, parents today, or a lot of parents today, are, process, are training their children to process everything through their feelings. How does that make you feel is a question kids are being asked on a regular basis more and more and more. Like, you know what? How do you feel about this? Do you feel like you're a boy? Because you're, we think you're a boy. You have a boy's equipment. But if you don't feel like you're a boy, well, maybe you're not a boy. That's very confusing, isn't it? And they're getting away from the truths of God's Word. Listen, it's real simple. And we're not trying to be ugly or or discriminatory or anything like that. But if you want to know what you are, check your equipment. I got a smattering of applause on that. Your equipment designs what God made you to be. That's better, right? That's God's idea. It's God, if you've got that kind of equipment, you are a boy. If you've got the other kind of equipment, you're a girl. It's very simple. You know, we had, uh, we had a, a grandmother talking to Pastor Richard about this last night a couple of months ago that brought a child to our church. It was a little boy, but he's dressed like a girl. And the grandmother came in and said, she comes to our church, she said, I just wanted... Him, his mama, and dad don't believe in Jesus, and, but I want to influence him for God. So I brought him to church, and ha, can you help me here? And so here's what we did. We said, yes, he's accepted. We will accept him. And, that, it, you know, that's the way he's dressed. Okay, but here's the deal. Here's what we gotta, we, we got to do as a church. In fact, we define this in our Constitution and bylaws. He is a little boy. He can't go to the girls' restroom because that's not right. We break our kids down in groups after, they, after we teach them, and we discuss with these little kids, uh, like the verse through the, the through the third grade, we discuss the message. We just talk. He can't be. We break up the boys and the girls in these groups. He can't be in a little girl group because he's not a girl, okay? And we're as kind and sweet as we can be. And why does that happen, Brother? Kim? You know, a lot of people are getting into this thinking because of the hurts they've had in their life. Let me just say that. And they've gone through things. And they've been abused when they were a child. And it messes, it begins to mess up your thinker. It hurts your thinker. And so people begin to think crazy things. But the truth of the matter is still the truth of the matter. And the truth of the matter is God wants to help people like that. We want to have people like that come to our church and hear the truth. Because it is the truth and the application of the truth that brings freedom to your life. And we want to help set people free. We want to get them fixed through Jesus Christ. That's why we have a Bible, because it gives us the rules uh, that, that we're supposed to live by and what we are and what we're supposed to do, right? Is that okay? Did I handle that okay? Yes. No, God's Word doesn't tell us to build our lives on feelings. We build it on the Word of God because feelings change. You may feel like you're something one day. You know, I've felt a lot of weird things in my life. But the Word of God does not change. Feelings are sinking sand. God's Word is a firm foundation. So as parents, as a mom and dad, when it comes to truth, we got to maintain what we call a united front. I'm going to have Trudy come back and explain this because she explains this a lot better than me. What it means to be be parents that have... I was going to bring this to you. You want to come up here? Okay. Explain that.
1: All right. Uh, it's so important as as a a couple, to make sure your children have one voice. It's really important, because the word division means, die means two, two visions. See, when you have two visions in your family, it's confusing to your kids. And here it is in the scripture. In in Exodus, and I'll explain how this works, it says, Exodus 21 through three says, I am the Lord your God, You will have no other gods before me. And what that means is there's no second opinions. God's opinion is the only opinion. The Godhead is three in one, and the word holy actually means oneness. The reason they're holy, the reason it's the Holy Trinity, is because they're all the same. They're all in agreement. The Holy Spirit will never say anything that the Word doesn't say. The, the Word will never say something that the Father hasn't said first. They are three, but they're one. That's what makes them holy. That's what makes them where we can believe in God and know that there's no shadow of turning. He'll never change. He's not going to wake up tomorrow morning and everything will be the same. That's why we love the Lord that's why he's our Lord. We can trust him that he's forever and ever the same yesterday, today, and forever. Forever. One voice. But this is what happens in your home. So you need to work on this as a couple. There are times you may disagree on some something, but don't do it in front of your children. Go back to your bedroom, discuss it, come up with a... With a, a, a Whatever you feel like you can come together on in agreement and present that to your children. Because this is what happens. You know, uh, there's an example where this little boy, he wanted to go to Aunt Joni's wedding. And in order to get to go, he can't do his homework that night. So his father says, all right, you're going to get to go, but you've got to promise me tomorrow night when you get in. you can't go play baseball tomorrow night. You need to go and and do your homework, okay? Is that an agreement? Yes. So, of course, as children are, the next night comes along, well, that's not such a good idea for them. They really don't care. They got to go to Aunt Joni's wedding, but now they still want to go play baseball. He comes in. He says, Dad, I want to go play baseball. He said, No, we had an agreement. Tonight we made an agreement. That if I let you go to the wedding, tonight you would do your homework. So this is what little Johnny does, or whatever, Ralph or whoever he is. He goes, okay, Dad said, I can't go out and play. I'll reroute and go to Mama. Not telling Dad. So he goes and tells Mama, can I go out and play baseball? And she says, sure, if you want to go out and play baseball. So he runs through the house and goes, I'm going to go out and play baseball. And dad's going, what just happened? Well, mom said I could play baseball. There you go. You got division right there. Two visions, two voices. The thing about two voices is when God says you can only have one God, he's saying anything else that you worship is an idol. So when you don't have a united front in your family, it's the same as idolatry. Because you're teaching your children, when they're little, that there's more than one way that things can be done. So then as they grow older, they go to college. And they've learned the Word of God, but then they've got somebody that says, No, that's not the way it works. And they've grown up in a home where there was always two voices. Now they say, Well, maybe there is two voices. Maybe the way that the Word of God uh, explains it isn't the only way. Maybe this professor's right. So you can see that you're building what you're building in your children is one voice. There's, there's one way to do it, God's way. But as a parent, see, you're just building a, a foundation in them that there's not going to be two voices in the house all the time because you don't n- realize what it's doing to your children. So always, if you can... Uh, And as they grow older and they have more knowledge, you can talk to them about things. But when they're little children, they're going to divide and conquer you every time they get a chance. So as much as you can, go, get your differences settled, come up with something between the two of you and present that to your child. It builds stability in them, it builds trust in them, and it helps them to understand that, that God's voice is is the only voice, mom and dad's voice is the only voice, and when they go out into the world, they'll learn, nope, what I learned at home is truth, and I'm gonna stay firm in my beliefs with what God has given me.
0: Thank you, dear. All right, would you mind helping her? Thank you. So we must maintain a united front. Uh, And uh, understand this, we are designed to sharpen as parents the way our children think from the time that they are small. Now, go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're talking about sharpening, sharpening their mind, the importance of the Word of God, building their life on the Word of God. Deuteronomy, what I'm about to read to you, for the Old Testament, we live in the New Testament, right? But this is for the Jews, what they believe to be the foundation for having a successful life. In fact, if you're a practicing Jew today, Uh, You know, you come to L.A., and and we were driving around yesterday in a certain part of town, and you see so many Jewish people out here. We don't have that so much in Oklahoma City. But for a practicing Jew today, this is still the central scriptural uh, passage that they build their lives on. It's called the Shema. A practicing Jew will wake up in the morning and quote this, this passage of Scripture. Before they go to bed at night, they will quote this passage of Scripture. So this is very important to them. And I think for Christians, we're not Jews, right? But it speaks to us, too, because it's the truth of the Word of God. So I'm going to begin reading in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, and I'm going to read through this, point out a couple of things as we go. So here we go. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. That's your body, your soul, and your spirit right there. Verse 6, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Everybody say children. You're supposed to, as parents, talk to your kids about the Bible. Talk about them when you are at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. God is telling us, especially when our kids are little, this is the best time to talk to them about Jesus. When they get up in the morning... Talk to them about God. Pray before they go to school. Uh, Teach them from these cards a biblical principle. When they, uh, when they're you're driving them home from school in the afternoon, that's another good time. Uh, When they go to bed at night, get up. Uh, Verse seven. Repeat them again and again to your children. In other words, they don't just get it because you go over it one time. They get it because you keep going over it. Right. Talk about, them, uh, talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Practicing Jews today have things that they put on their head and, uh, to, to fulfill the Scripture. They try to fulfill it that way. The Lord your God, or in other words, this is what's going to happen when you do this. The Lord your God will soon bring you in to the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. Houses will be richly stocked with goods that you did not produce. This literally happened to the children of Israel when they came into the promised land. But the promised land is a picture for a Christian of us living, not when we go to heaven, we're going to go to heaven, but that's not the promised land. The promised land is what we live on the earth. Because in the promised land, there were giants, right? There's no giants in heaven. You get to heaven, you're going to be cruising, baby. No more battles. It's going to be over. It's going to be enjoying the blessing of God now in your life at the fullness. But, but there are giants in this land. But God is saying, if you'll train your children the proper way, then I'm going to give you a wonderful city. I'm going to give you a house with uh, full of good furniture. I'm going to give you, uh, you'll draw waters from cisterns that you didn't dig. A cistern, maybe maybe you want to believe God for a swimming pool. Uh, There's your promise for a swimming pool. You can claim right there. Uh, You will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten and you are full in this land, and I'll stop right there, but here's what this is saying. If we'll put the things of God in our children, God promises that His blessing will come on you. And he'll bless you in life. Because why? Because you took seriously training your children in the things of God. I think church, this church is big on training kids in the things of God, right? I think, yeah, clap your hands. I believe there's a blessing on this church. I believe there's a blessing on churches that take that seriously and train children in a school, also in the classrooms that they have in our church we make a big deal about kids' ministry. I, th- I know one of the reasons our church has grown is because we really have invested a lot in our children's ministry into the classrooms themselves, the way they look, in the, in the way we do things, but in the way we teach them the Word of God. Uh, we have people on our staff that their job is to do kids' ministry and do it right. And our church runs right around 850, 900 people. That's how many people are coming every weekend. Forty percent of our church is under the age of 12 years old. There are stories that uh, uh, parents have told about how they came to our church, and they, the parents said in the service, and the parents thought, well, I don't know if I like this church or not. I may have to check it out some more. But they go pick their kids up. Their kids had such a great time in the classrooms. The next weekend, they would make their parents come back because kids have influence, right? because they were, they were having such a great time learning about Jesus. And so the blessing of God is on our church, and it's growing because we reach these little kids. Because see, whenever you reach kids, Pastor Richard, you don't, you don't have this school because you're getting rich with it, right? No, training children does not. It's not you're not going to get a big profit off that. You can't put that on the books, that that's making the money to cause this church to work. No, it's an investment that you make. But I'll tell you who will pay you back, Jesus. He'll take care of you. So we need to train our kids in their minds. We should train them to, to love God, to, to uh, put the things of God in our kids. Number two, the body. Let's talk about the next part of our three-part, the spirit soul, body, the parts of an arrow. The body is the arrow shaft. The shaft that carries the arrowhead to the target. So, so this is the physical body of a child. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. This means we should train our children in their physical bodies. We should train them to have feet that take us to places that bring God glory. We should teach them to have hands that reach out in a way that causes others others to see Jesus in us. We should teach them to have ears that listen to things that make the name of Jesus great. Mouths that sing His praises and point people to the truth. I should be looking at things that are acceptable in the sight of God. We should train children in those things, in in the Word of God. As parents, we're designed to help our children set physical boundaries in their life. So here's some questions we need to ask. Uh, Is what we are watching bringing glory to God? Uh, Are the words that we speak honoring Jesus and others? And this is real. I'm really going to get nosy with this one, okay? Are you physically overweight and out of shape? Because this sends a message to your kids that you don't care about your temple. And if you don't care about honoring God with your body, why should they? Yeah, okay, I'll keep going. (laughs) Is your body bringing glory to God? Uh, And then there are times with them physically, we have to watch over what they see, what they're looking at. One of the scourges of our society happened back in 2007 when the iPhone came out. And the iPhone changed and is still changing the world because with the, and I have an iPhone and I have an iPad and they're wonderful inventions, right? And yet it opened up a Pandora's box to all sorts of stuff. And one of the things that happened in our, our family when the internet came on, even before the iPhone was the internet was, yeah, I wasn't computer wise uh, when, when the, uh, you know, when the, World Wide Web came into being. I didn't understand the dangers about it, but my son was a teenager. And unbeknownst to me, things he could get on that computer, I started discovering later, but it was late, and he was looking at pornography and things like that as he was a teenager that caused some issues in his life later on. I'll talk about that a little bit more later. But see, as a parent, I should have been educated enough to see that and monitor that. Listen, you as a parent have the responsibility to watch over what your kids are looking at. Yeah, you have responsibility to, if you get them a phone, and I don't know that kids real small need a phone, okay? My grandson, who's 14, got a phone recently. But every night, his phone uh, has to be turned in. His mom and dad monitor what's going on on his phone, and they check it out all the time. His history, he's got all kinds of, uh, any kind of program they can get to, to make that phone safe. Uh, you know, I am an older guy, but understand this: I do have an iPhone and iPad, but i 'm accountable on my all of my stuff to my wife. in fact, Trudy, anytime she wants to, will go into history and check what i 've been looking at, and she has permission to do that i don 't get offended by that. why? Because I want to be accountable to her. Yeah, go ahead and clap your hands that 's a good thing. you know in our house, we have cable TV and uh, but there 's uh, to watch anything over PG-13, you have to have a code. And nobody knows the code but Nana. The grand, the grandchildren are always trying to bust the code. We'll look, and they've tried to, they try to figure it, but they can't figure it out. And Nana is the keeper of the code. I don't know what the code is. She, I'm uh, accountable to her, right? That's a good thing. She, I, I want to be accountable to her because I want to be accountable to her, but I want to be accountable to Jesus. And I want to stand up here and be accountable to you, that you know that I'm not messing around doing something that I shouldn't be doing, right? It's important that we watch over our children and, and what's going on in their, in their lives. And then we need to be accountable to, to sometimes physically discipline them. Now, man, I'm going to walk on some, I'm going to tread on some dangerous ground here. But there's something in the Bible that is biblical. It's called a spanking. And I understand I'm in California where it is against the law to spank your child. I can't even hardly believe I'm saying that, but it is. But spanking, let me just make a few statements. Spanking is in the Bible, but spanking is not beating your children. It's not physically abusing your children. That's not what spanking is. It's not slapping your children. It's not kicking your children. That is not spanking. But spanking in the Bible, in fact, spanking is not just a reaction because they made you mad. In fact, the Bible says the rod of your anger will fail. If you spank your children when you're mad, you're doing a disservice to them. Uh, I knew a preacher that knew this years ago. He told this story. And this preacher had like seven or eight kids. How many was it? You remember? bunch of kids. And so his kids, they're raising them, and they, they do something stupid, and they make him, make him angry because children can make you angry. I mean, you, they do the dumbest things, Right? You say, why did you do that? And they always go, I don't know. And they're just, they're kids, right? And so, but he knew this scripture, the rod of your anger will fail. And he spanked his children, but he knew I can't spank them when I'm angry. So he would go, pull away, and relax and get, it, get a hold of himself. And he would play the piano to help him, you know, calm down. But here's the thing. If, if dad ever is playing the piano in the family, somebody's about to get it. And they knew that. But spanking, is a, is a, it's in the Bible. It's a process. And in our book, and I'm not just trying to sell books, but we go through the process. Many pages of how you go through the process. How you, uh, you, you define what happened. You make very clear to them what they did wrong so that they understand it, you understand it, and you go through a process. We go through the process in the book. I don't have time to do that now. But if you don't go through the process and you just get mad and spank your child, you're doing them wrong. That's not the way to do it spanking has done a lot of damage spanking is not a beating spanking is not a mugging there's a place to spank and you don't spank with your hand either because your hand is something you should love your children with no you get an object called a rod in the Bible we talk about what that rod is what it can be and you spank them with the rod and you don't just hit them anywhere you spank them on the right there on the bottom you know God designed it that way it's centrally located they bend over it's, you know, you don't hit it. You just hit that. It's padded for most of us. Sometimes we lose our padding as we get older. That's a whole other story. But, uh, so I would encourage you, to, as Pastor Ken said, I could go beat my children. I did not say that. I did not say that. You do it properly, it won't hurt them. But it will make an impression on them. And it do, and, and then it is also that you're not just... Just they, they do something, you say, if you do that one more time, I'm going to spank you. One more time, I'm going to spank you. A lot of parents do that, but they never spank them. You do that one more time. That was 23 times ago when you said it the first time. And, you know, really, once again, you're teaching them that your word is not good. You need to, if you're going to spank your children, you do that one more time, I'm going to spank you. They do that one more time, you need to spank them. But do it according to this book, okay? And don't do it out in the parking lot in public because it's against the law. But listen, I'm talking about God's law, okay? And it's in the Bible. And there's a once again, I don't have time to go through all that. I encourage you to get the book. I encourage you to get the book. All right, the last thing, number three. We're getting, we're getting close to being done. The spirit is the feathers. The feathers of an arrow is what guides it to the proper place, right? And uh, it determines if the mark is hit. You know, Paul told us, I press toward the mark, For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark. He didn't say, I press toward the prize. That's interesting to me. We don't do this because we're going to get a prize. Now, we're going to get a prize. If you do things God's way on the earth, you get a prize for what you do in heaven. But you press toward the mark. What is that? I believe it's everybody's got something in them, a destiny that God places in every person born in the earth. Someplace you are not here just to work a job. You're not here just to kind of hang out and whatever. And no, you're here with the divine destiny, whatever that is. That has to do with I believe your family, your children, your your marriage, your then the people that you affect in life. God's called all of us, not just preachers. You are called to to affect people in life, right? And God wants us to raise children that are that that do something in life, that fulfill a purpose. So when you get to heaven, Jesus says, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I heard a preacher say one time that the Lord told him. He was in prayer, and, and the Lord w- was dealing with him about some things that that uh, he wanted him to do. And, uh, and the Lord told him, Jesus told him, He said, You're about to enter the third and final phase of your ministry. And, and then he said this, most preachers don't enter the first phase of their ministry. And that struck me so hard. I'll never forget that. Because I thought, most preachers don't enter the first phase? If that be true, then what about people in the body of Christ? Do people live and die, and they get saved, and yet they don't fulfill what they're put on the earth to do? Don't you, don't you know deep inside you're here for a purpose? Can't you feel that sometimes? You know, the devil wants to discourage you from that. But listen, you're here for a purpose. And that purpose never is done away with as long as you're living. When you leave the earth, that's going to change. But right now, I am 71 years old. And I still have something I want to do. Now, it's changing. It changes all the time. At 71, I don't want to do what I was doing at 50. There was a day I was traveling crazy all around the country. And Trudy and I were doing that. And we were young and jumping up and down. And... And before that, I was a praise and worship leader. And as a worship leader, I'm jumping up down on the stage, and you know, there came a day that I wasn't enjoying that as much. It it changed. You go through chapters, you have to honor that. Listen, I'm talking to somebody. I'm talking to somebody. You need to get with God and see what the next step is with Him. Quit trying to figure it out on your own. You have a purpose for this life, you have a destiny. And, and we need to change and roll with the changes. I think that's the key to fulfilling your purpose. Because at 20, it's different when you're 20 than when you're 40. It's different when you're 50 than, than when you're 60. Changes happen, right? And, and so we are helping our, our children understand this, this thing. And, and the spirit, the feathers, here's, here's what I want to say about this. We have to understand that our children need spiritual development. And as a parent, you can be responsible for their spiritual development, which means you know, you as a parent, even as a grandparent, can pray and your children get saved. You should lead them to Christ. You should uh, make a big deal about them and their spiritual development because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, uh, that, that gets them born again, that then they're filled with the Holy Spirit, is going to direct them. They learn that at an early age then, then that's going to help them find their place in life, I believe, earlier. And children, listen, they're a lot more spiritual than most people think. I've worked with little kids. That Little kids can get saved. They can be filled with the Spirit. Jesus talked about this so much. He said, Mark ten thirteen. Let the little children come to me, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like children. In, in Matthew 18, 3, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children. Isn't that amazing? He didn't tell the children, you kids, you're immature. You need to grow up. He told adults, your problem is you need to think like a kid. You need to go back. Because kids, they are so pliable. And they so you tell them something, they believe it. Some of the best moments of my life have been with my grandchildren when they come over and spend the night. And I'll just purposely begin to talk to them about the things of God. And all I have to do is kind of get the ball rolling. Like mention anything, and they begin to ask me questions. One of the best ways little kids learn is by asking questions. And and you want to train them for God? Just throw throw a little truth out there, something spiritual, and then let them ask you. Begin to ask you questions. They'll ask you some doozies. They'll take you places. Uh, my little granddaughter, uh, Josh's middle daughter, Bo. She's she's really unique. Well, they're all you know everybody's unique, but Bo is just a thinker, and she thinks real deep. And she's like, her, she's like her daddy was as a little girl. And she kind of frowns when she's thinking. And she'll get into a discussion with me, and she'll hold me accountable to spiritual things. And I love to talk with Bo. We're going to bed, and she'll get deep into the things of God. As a little, she's, what, 10 now? Kids are deeper than you think. And they need the development of their children. And, and you've got to learn to answer the questions that they have. That's one of the ways they learn is they ask questions. When, when my son Josh was little, he's always asking me questions. I remember one time we went to, to eat uh, lobster at this restaurant. We met this guy, and we were in Texas doing a meeting. And this guy invited me, and I said, Pastor Ken, I'd like to take you out and have, have lobster dinner with you. And I said, yes, sir, we'll, we'll make that. We'll do that. So we went to this restaurant. Well, Josh was four, okay? And Josh has never had lobster in his life. He's been deprived. But... Uh, you know how it is you, you go into a seafood restaurant a lot of times, they'll have the lobster in a tank. And so here's Josh. He looks at those lobster. Some of them are big. He says, wow, Dad, is this, is this what we're going to eat? That's a lobster? And then he's just asking questions. Hey, Dad, are they going to kill one of these? How do they kill a lobster? Eat it. Does it hurt when they kill it? Hey, Dad, what's the meat taste like? Hey, Dad, that claw right there, if I stuck my finger in that claw, would that lobster bite my finger off, would that really hurt, Dad? Would you have to take me to your emergency room? Hey, Dad, Dad, Dad. Dad. And he was just always like that, right, just asking questions. And so, and I'm trying to be nice and talk to this, this guy's taking us out, but Josh is just, and he was always going, hey, Dad, 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 just poking me, poking me. So we sit down, and he's still asking questions. Hey, Dad, when the waitress comes, can I have a Sprite? Hey, Dad, how the salt and pepper, get the salt and pepper shakers? And he's just, oh, you know, Josh. And, like, oh, and, and I noticed the man that took us out to eat, he's sitting there smiling. He was older. His name was Mr. Dupuis. I'll never forget it. He's smiling at this, and he, uh, There's a break in the questions, and he says, Does that boy ask you a lot of questions? I said, Are you kidding me? This is all he does. He said, Well, can I help you? I said, Sure. He said, You know why he asks questions? I said, Well, what do you mean? He said, He asks questions because he's hungry to learn. And he asks you questions because you're his father. And he wants to hear his daddy answer his questions. So as he grows up, let me give you some advice. Take the time to answer his questions. He said, because if you don't, he could grow up and be stupid. Powerful truth right there. A lot of people struggle and are stupid in life because maybe their dad didn't answer their questions, right? Let's, let's close this. You ready? It's about lunchtime. In conclusion, let's go back to this. Psalm 127. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for he gives his beloved sleep. There's really, if you're going to have a, a wonderful family, parents, children, we dig into this, we work at this, there has to be a third parent. There's a mom and the dad, but here's the third parent. You've got to have the help of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit wants to help us. He wants to help you as you raise these children. Uh, And then it goes on to say, you can rise up late. You can rise up early, stay up late. You can worry yourself to death about your kids. But this is a Holy Spirit that can help you have peace and sleep, even if all hell is breaking loose in your family. And I've had it happen. You won't raise perfect kids. Uh, You know, when I was doing kids' ministry and my kids were little, I had this thinking that we're going to train these kids and they're going, to, they're going to be fine, you know, and they won't have the problems we had because we had problems because we were sinners. But my kids, they've been raised in the things of God, and, and, uh, but that's not the way it works. They have their own choices to make, right? I mentioned that uh, my kids weren't perfect. Uh, my daughter, unbeknownst to us, there was a couple of times that she snuck out of her house and went out with her friends as a teenager drinking beer, and doing things like that, we didn't know what happened until later. She told us, <laughs> raising a Christian home. Uh, I talked about my son and pornography. He got addicted to it. I didn't. We didn't know that that could happen, but it was is a problem he had to overcome, and trouble come. But it's the unless the Lord built the house, right? Who's the Lord? The Holy Spirit. Unless the Lord keep the city. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to help us. He wants to help us watch. He wants to help the builder. He wants to help the watchman. I don't know what we would do without Jesus and the Holy Spirit. God is real. This is more than just we do this by rote, okay? This is just, this is God helping us get through the challenges of life and, and you're going to have many, 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 many. But you, no matter, maybe you're here today and your kids are raised and you're thinking, I wish I would have known some of these things. But listen, here's what you can do with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can pray. I'll close with this. Let me just read this uh, little excerpt that I, I got from a book recently that I, I really like. Many parents moan aloud when they think of their children who are young adults and away from home. I did everything I knew to do to be a good parent. And it looks like nothing has worked. In fact, the good seeds that the parents have sown are still planted in the soil of the child's life. It's at this point that the parent must turn to the only thing that that can be done, pray. Pray daily. Pray persistently. Pray specifically. And above all, pray in faith that God not only hears you, but will answer. A, A man once said to his friend, I believe if you thought the Lord told you to jump through a stone wall, you'd jump. The friend replied, if the Lord told me to jump through a stone wall, it would be my business to jump, and it would be His business to make a hole. The same goes for parenting. The Lord tells us to do our part, to raise our kids according to His commandments, to do the best of the knowledge we have, and then we must trust Him to do His part in our children's lives. You sow, but only God can grow. Trust Him to do that work in your child's life today to bring to life that which is dormant, and to cause your child to grow and flourish into the fullness and stature of Christ. Amen. I got a a good friend named Willie George, and he tells this story, I'll close with this, about one time he was preaching in Missouri. He lived in Tulsa at that time. He was driving back on I-44 from Missouri to Tulsa, And as he's driving, he was alone, and he remembered as he going down the road, There was an exit to go to Carthage, Missouri, right before you get to the Oklahoma border. And he was reminded that he had a great uncle that lived in Carthage, and and as he's driving, he said, I just began to think about my grandmother who had raised him, uh, his grandmother, that this man's son that he thought about. And he said, I remembered my grandmother praying. And his grandmother prayed for the family a lot. And he said, as I'm driving, I heard my grandmother's voice saying, "God, that all my children might be saved. Oh God, that all my children might be saved." He said, I begin to hear that in my spirit. You know, not with your ears. But, and he said, I remember my great uncle was in Carthage, and he said he's an older man now. He said, I thought, I wonder, I wonder how he's doing. I hadn't seen him in years since he was a little kid. So he drove to Carthage. He got off the freeway. and drove to Carthage and went, to the, went into the town, little town, and he went to a phone booth. This is before cell phones. And he got a phone book. Anybody remember phone books? He looked up the name, and, and he found him, found his name. So he looked up the address, and he drove to the house. He goes to the house, and he knocks on the door. Nobody comes. And so he went around the back and knocked on the back door. <clears throat> nobody came. So he thought, well, nobody must be here. But he thought, oh, I believe God led me to do this. So he walked back to the front door, knocked again, and a little lady opened the door. He looked at him funny, and he said, listen, I'm your nephew. I'm, I'm Willie. Remember, I'm Norma's boy. And uh, I just was driving, and I wanted to come in and see you. And so she said, well, come on in. And so he came in and sat down, and the, and the man came out, his great uncle. and sat down. They visited a little bit, talked about what Willie was doing. And then Willie said, i got to tell you something. He said, I was driving down the road, and he said, You may think this is weird, but as I'm driving, I heard your mama, and I heard her prayer. And I heard your mama saying, Oh God, that all my kids might be saved. That all my kids might be saved. And he said, As I said this, that old man in his 80s, tears began to run down his cheek. He shook his head like that. And he said, I heard my mama pray like that. He said, I heard her. And so Willie said, Okay, well, let me ask you, are you saved? And he goes, He said, you want to be? You want to get right with God today? And he ministered to him. And he led that old man in the sinner's prayer. And he got saved that day. And that was the last one of the family that hadn't accepted Jesus. Her prayers lived on. Your prayers carry power, and they live forever. So if that's all you can do, that's not just all you can do. That's a powerful thing you can do. That's a powerful thing you can do. So, right now, as we close, would you stand to your feet? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us in a prayer right now. And, in fact, let me ask you this question How many of you would say, Pastor Ken, I got people in my family? And my family. There's something about family. Not just your kids, but cousins and uncles and. You know, I got my great uncle saved right before he went to heaven and died. Six months after I prayed with him, he was hard of hearing. I had to scream the prayer with him that day because he couldn't hear. But six months later, he died, and he went to heaven. And he was a mess growing up, man. I mean, he had lived a rough life. But there's something about a blood connection. And I'm going to ask you this. Anybody have family today? Say, Pastor Kendall, I want to pray for my family. Maybe it's your children. Look at those hands. Maybe it's your uncles and nieces and nephews and fathers and mothers and whatever amen lord you see those hands let's pray right now Acts 16 verse 31 paul said if you believe in the lord jesus christ you can be saved and your house which means and your family so lord today as we close we pray for our family members we're bringing them to you right now Lord, as we come before your throne, in Jesus' name, we see them in our mind's eye. We bring them to the to the throne of heaven by faith, wherever they are. Lord, we, we pray for them, and we say their name right now. now. Just say their name right out loud. Say their name right out loud. Lord, we say their name, and we claim them by faith, and because we believe in you, we believe that we will be saved, but also our family. Lord, do what you need to do to reach out to them. We pray that you'd bring people into their life, uh, thrust forth workers into the harvest. Lord, may the angels of God direct them. We put a dome of protection over them, that they will not die, nothing will happen before they can get right with God. We claim that in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you for working this beginning today you will surely do it we thank you for it in jesus name everybody said lift your hands up right now say i believe it god's at work to save my family i thank you lord for working this work i plant my faith on it in jesus name amen amen praise god thank you this this help anybody this help anybody good 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 thank you thank you for coming out on a saturday in august wow thank you pastor richard for allowing us to do this we love you uh be sure to come to church tomorrow we're gonna have a big time right Trudy and i get to preach thank you have a great day i'll turn this back to you i, I forgot to mention as he's coming the, if you buy one of these books i think it's twelve dollars you get two for twenty say, Pastor Ken, why do I want two books? Well, because you're a Christian, and one of the best things you could do to somebody that doesn't know Jesus, give them this book, because everybody's dealing with family issues right now. Say, you know what? This book helped me, and give it away. Give it away. We're supposed to give stuff away, right? So I encourage you to check that stuff out. We love you. God bless you.